I'm reading in the fourth chapter of the book of Romans, verses 17 through 25. Now, sometimes it's kind of hard to, uh, when Paul is writing, to kind of break in on what he's saying, because he just goes on and on and on. Not unlike some preachers I know, but uh, I want to break in on the 17th verse, and he's writing concerning the faith of Abraham. As it is written, A father of many nations have I made you in the sight of him whom he believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope he believed, in order that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. And without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, And he contemplated the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully assured that what he had promised, he was also able also to perform. Therefore, also it was reckoned to him as righteousness, Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was reckoned to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be reckoned, as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who who was delivered up because of our transgressions, raised because or of our justification. Abraham's faith is really a model for us, a model of our faith. The faith of Abraham is a remarkable thing, but it is not an exception, really. It is an example. And you've heard a lot said and have read a lot written about the importance of faith. We're saved through faith. Justification is by faith alone. Martin Luther was right when he said, I cannot add or subtract one ounce of merit from the work of Christ. But after we have been saved, we are to live differently and distinctively. How do we do that? Well, by the same faith. The righteous ones shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. And we walk not by sight, but by faith. And some of you might be saying, well, I just want to, I'm just trying to survive in this world. Well, we stand by faith. And it is the prayer of faith that works. When a person prays believing, he begins to see the miracles of God accomplished. And we overcome by faith. Herein is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Would you say that faith was pretty important? Well, if faith is that imperative or essential, and Abraham's faith is a model for every believer, then it behooves us to find something out about this kind of faith. Now, there are four things that this passage describes or help us to understand about this faith which is our model. First, 
It is confidence in a person. The validity of your faith is determined by the object in which that faith is placed. I think sometimes we have misunderstood believing that really the thing that makes faith is its volume. And so we talk about not having enough faith or I wish I had more faith. It's not the volume that makes it valid. It's the object in which it's placed. Now you can have a lot of faith in thin ice and you can be in trouble right away. And you can have just a little faith in thick ice. I mean, you can kind of slip out on the, on the pond really nervous and, and, and not really trusting it very much. But with just a little faith in the right object, you're okay. You can be as safe as if you were standing on concrete. There is a time in which a little faith is better than a lot of faith. And it depends on its object. For the value of your faith is determined by that in which it's placed. And Abraham found in God something that made him comfortable in placing his confidence totally in Him. And I think we need to be very careful and understand the significance of this because it's not uncommon for us to say that we have faith in God when we really have faith in some of those things that are called alongside of God. For example, God has some great preachers. And we say we have faith in God. You let one of these preachers fail, make make a big mistake, mess up. And some people will say, ah, oh, well, nothing to it anyway, bunch of hypocrites. I'm not ever going to have anything to do with that religion again. Well, our faith is really not in God. It's in some of the things that are called alongside of God. I need to tell you that some of the most dynamic Christians, the most dynamic believers are people who don't have a preacher. They don't have a church to go to. They don't have a books on religion to read. They don't have a television or a radio to listen to. And I'm talking about those people who are in prison across this country. And, the, and you say, well, how do they manage that? Well, their confidence is in God alone. Well, the question is, the, 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 the issue is, if God is the one in whom we are to place our faith, the person of God is the only, our faith in Him is the only valid source of faith, wouldn't it stand to reason that we need to know a little bit about God? I mean, if to place our faith in Him is the only valid way to have faith, then what do we know about God? Well, Abraham knew two things about Him. He believed that God had the power to bring life out of death. He believed, in essence, that God was the source and the substance and the resource of all living things. And he believed that everything in this life had its origin and its reason for being in God Himself. He believed that God was able to bring life out of death. And he believed, secondly, that God was able to call into existence that which was not in existence prior. He could call the non-existent into existence. Now you don't have to turn very far in your Bible. In fact, just the first chapter of the book of Genesis, and you find an example of that. You find that story where God just spoke a word, and that which had never existed came into existence. 
There wasn't any flashes of light, any great explosions. God just said, let there be, and there was, because there was this tremendous power in His Word just to speak something that had never existed into existence. Now, what Abraham understood about God was this, that God was able to bring life out of death, and He was able to call into existence that which had never existed. And because of that, He hoped... Against hope, it says in verse 18. Now you and I know that that word hope has been, you know, worn threadbare. And there's several ways we use that word. Sometimes we use the word hope like a drowning man um, grasping for straws, you know, at a straw. And then that word hope is found in the biblical sense as a word that means absolute confidence. Let me see if I can illustrate. I'm walking on the campus. I meet somebody else and say, well, how's it going? He says, well, I'm going great. I'm hoping to graduate. I'm hoping to graduate in December, going on to graduate school. Oh, you're hoping to graduate in December. Well, how many hours you like? Well, like 28. Oh, 28. Huh. So how many hours are you taking uh, this semester? 14. Oh, well, how's it going in your classes? All Fs. Well, at least he's consistent. And I say, well, now what were you saying about, well, he said, yeah, I'm hoping to graduate in, in, in December, going on to graduate school, grasping at straws. Then I walk on across the campus and I meet this guy and I say, well, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. I hope to graduate in December, going on to graduate school. Well, that's great. Yeah, he says, I've already been accepted in graduate school. You have? Yeah, I've got all the credits I need to get in graduate school. Well, what are you doing on the campus this semester? Well, I'm just taking some graduate level courses in preparation. Well, how's it going? All A's. He said, well, how'd you, you know, what would you say about your future? He said, well, I hope to graduate in December going to graduate school. Now, one is grasping at straws. The other is absolute confidence. Guess which is which? Now, how do you describe your God? Let me ask you this question. How do you describe your God? J.B. Phillips has written a book called Your God is Too Small. Let me say to you that if your God is not able to call life out of death, and if your God is not able to speak into existence that which had never existed, then your God is too small and you're grasping at straws. But the God of Abraham is a God who believed that his God was able to call life out of death and into existence that which had never existed. His confidence was in that person. Second, his faith was conversant with the problem. Now our society has a, uh, a convenient way to dichotomize. We, we divide people up. And so we have a group over here, the people that are realistic and, and, and uh, bottom line people and pragmatic people. We say these are who face the facts. These are the people who face reality. And they're over here in this section. And these people that we say are people of faith are the people who avoid reality, evade uh, the facts, and ignore the truth. These are the faith folks. These are the folks that kind of just float around in this you know, kind of an ethereal fantasy land, assuming that what is isn't and what isn't is. And so you've got the folks who face the facts over here, and you've got the folks that are people of faith over here, and the people of faith avoid reality and the truth. The Scripture says that that's absolute nonsense, that the person who faced the fact was the man of faith. I mean, his faith was conversant with the problem. Now, he, 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 when he faced the fact, he realized he had two problems. 
The first problem was that he was almost a hundred years old and his body was good as dead. And the second problem he faced, the fact he faced, was that his wife was approaching a hundred and she was infertile. Now those are pretty serious problems if you plan to have children. You know, I'm going to tell you that. I'm, a, I'm not a brain surgeon, but I got that figured out. One night God called Abraham outside his tent and, 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 and said, Abraham, won't you look into the sky and count the stars? And so Abraham started to count the stars. No, no, I mean meant literally Abraham. I just want you to see the vastness of the heavens. Then he said, Abraham, I want you to, I want you to count the sand on the, on, the, on, the, on the earth. Count the grains of sand. I want you to understand how numerous are the grains of sand, the vastness of the stars and the numerous numbers of grains of sand. Now he said, Abraham, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you the father of a nation, just that vast and people that numerous. Isn't that exciting? And Abraham must have said, man, that is exciting. So Abraham started back inside the tent. He got about halfway in the tent and just boom, it dawned on him. He's going to make me the father of a nation like that? I hadn't produced one yet. So he comes outside and he says, God, I, I think we got a problem here. I, I haven't been able to produce a son yet. Not one. What do you remember about me? What do you know about me, Abraham? Well, I know that you're able to bring life out of death. Well, is that true that you believe? Yeah, I believe that. Well, then don't you believe that I can take this body that's good as dead and make it live and virile, live and virile? You mean to tell me that you're able to take this body that's good as dead and make it alive and virile? That's exactly what I mean. Now I want you to go in there and tell your wife that she's going to have a baby. Now, that's normally not the sequence. I mean, it's usually the other way around. But, but she go, he goes inside and he says, Sarah, we're going to have a baby. And she laughs. And so he comes back outside and says, God, I think we got another problem. When I told my wife about this, she laughed. And God says, well, now, what do you know about me, Abraham? He says, well, I know that you're able to bring life out of death. What else do you know about me, Abraham? Well, I know that you're able to speak into existence that which has never existed. You mean you can take, what, God, you mean you're telling me that you can take a womb that has been infertile and barren for 90 years and bring into existence a womb, a womb that's alive to bring a child into this world? That's exactly what I mean. You mean my faith can be conversant with a problem? I can face the facts and still believe? That's exactly what I mean. Well, you see, there's no way humanly possible for this to happen. But he wasn't operating on, the basis, on that basis. He was operating on the basis of who God is. Let me tell you something. When you understand, when you see your problems on the basis of who God is, they're not as big. Let me ask you, which is the greater reality? Your problems are His power. His faith was conversant with the problem. Third, His faith was consistent with growth. Consistent with progress. Consistent a person, conversant with a problem, consistent with progress. Now look what he says, verse 20. Yet with respect to the promise of God, He did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. What he's saying is that as his faith began to grow, listen to this, his faith began to grow. Now I know what some of you are thinking and saying, and I, I know i am said it a jillion times, I just wish I had the, like that kind of faith. I wish I had that kind of faith. 
Abraham had? What happened to you this morning? So you reached your hand out from the cover and you groped for that alarm clock, believing that, that if you hit that snooze button, you'd get 10 more minutes of sleep. You exercised faith. And you reached out that hand and you touched that snooze button and it swallowed up the noise just like you believed would happen. About 10 minutes later, you, you, you heard, it, heard it going off again, so you kind of crawled out of bed, putting one foot down on the floor, but you weren't t- testing the floorboard to see if it was going to hold you up. You just stood up on it, believing the foundation was secure. And you went in there and you put some water in the automatic coffee maker and why did you do that? Because you believed that you'd get some coffee there in about three or four minutes. You exercised faith and you got up and you, you got dressed and you got in your car and you turned that key and believing that thing was going to start. And you started to church believing we would be here, trusting us to be here for this service. And as you were coming down Evergreen and you got to third in Evergreen, there was a stoplight there. And on your side it was green. And so you knew that meant just keep on going believing that it was red on the other side, although you couldn't see it. And you saw a car coming down the other side, coming down uh, 3rd Street on the opposite you, and you didn't even slow down. Because he had stopped because he had red. I mean, how could you have so much faith in somebody you've never even seen before? I mean, why would you exercise faith in somebody you didn't even know? You just kept coming, and, and, and they, they stopped just like all. What I'm trying to tell you is this. You say, well, that's different. Well, what's different about it? Well, the object is different. And God has given us an inner capacity to trust and believe, and we exercise that inner capacity every second we live. You take, three, you, you take your, the age of your life, multiply it by 365, multiply that by 60, multiply that by 60, and that big number you come out with, for some of you it's a real big number, That big number you come out with is the number of seconds that you live in faith. Every second of your life you live in faith because God has given you that inner capacity to trust, to believe. Now what He wants us to do is to take that inner capacity to believe and put it on Him. Trust Him. You know why the Bible keeps talking about try me, prove me? He wants us to just begin to take this inner capacity to trust that you have in everything in your life and place it on Him day after day and watch that faith grow. Let me tell you a good place to start. By your giving. By by giving your tithe. Good place to start. You want to see how God will take care of you? How He'll be true to His promise? You start giving 10% of your income and watch it happen. That faith begins to grow. Now, you ever flown on on an airplane? Well, I guess if you've flown, you've been on an airplane. You ever, you've, if, if you've flown on an airplane, you ever been with somebody that's never flown before? I mean, a rookie? I, I used to fly thousands of miles every year. I'm, I was traveling in the Northwest. I flew all the, every week of my life I flew. I flew thousands of miles. I got to where I hated it. One day I was going into, I was changing planes in Denver, Colorado, and I was going into this concourse to make my next connection, and I had a lot of time, and so I just go in and I read the paper. And I sat down in this concourse. I was the only one there waiting connection to make. And this guy came walking up. I could tell he was a rookie. He told me later that he, he was a truck driver. He drove 18 wheelers out of Atlanta, Georgia. And one of their truck drivers got in Boise, Idaho and just left his truck, just abandoned, left the truck there. So his company was flying him out to Boise to get this truck and drive it home. And he hated flying. He, he didn't know a thing about it. 
He said, could you help me catch this plane? I said, well, I sure will. So we, sat, we talked a while. And we boarded the plane headed out of Denver, and it was in the springtime. He's sitting about two seats behind me across the aisle. If you've ever flown out of Denver in the springtime, boy, it gets pretty rough. There's a lot of turbulence and that hot air coming up over those mountains. And we got about, you know, two or three minutes out of Denver, and boom, and we hit this. It's like an explosion. A woman had a baby, threw that baby up against the top of the, air, the, uh, the, the, the airplane. I mean, people were flying everywhere. And I, I looked around. I looked around at this guy, and he was frozen in terror. I mean, his eyes looked like two fried eggs. And he had a, he had a grip on his seat. His, it, around his mouth was blue, and he was pure white. I mean, lily white. He was terrified. I'm trying to be cool. I'm, I'm, I'm just looking at him. I'm smiling like, you know, everything's going to be fine. Give him a little thumbs up, you know, and everything. But he, I mean, that boy was scared. But we, we leveled out and smoothed out. And I got, it was about a two or three hour flight to Boise. And was, I got to notice him. He, was, he just relaxed after a while. He, he was talking to the street. He got up and went to the back. He got he got him some refreshments, and he unbuckled his, unbuckled his seat belt. I mean, he was feeling good. The point is, is that as this thing began to prove itself to him, he began to have faith and confidence. And as the dependability of this gigantic machine suspended in air began to prove its, its reality, its validity, and its trustworthiness, he began to trust it. Now watch this. Abraham launched out this inner capacity of faith that God had given him. And he put it on this God, he believed, who could raise it and call into existence that which had never existed. And he just began to trust, and this faith began to grow. Oh, there were moments of up and down, and I know you're going to challenge me on that. But the, but the, the gradient was upward as he began to grow in his faith and did not stagger in unbelief. It was consistent with progress. One last thing. It was convinced of the promise. Look at verse 20. Verse 21. And being fully assured that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Stuart Briscoe tells it that he, when he was evangel, an evangelist over in, in Great Britain, he was gone a lot preaching revivals. And one day his wife said to him, said, Stuart, it might be nice for you to spend some time at home and get acquainted with your kids. So he told her, he said, well, honey, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to take a holiday to the Mediterranean. Warm breezes, sand and surf. And she said, oh, come on, Stuart, you don't mean that. You know we're not going to take a holiday to the Mediterranean. He said, yeah, we are. He said, no, I don't believe that. He said, you can't afford it. We can't afford it in the first place. In the second place, if we could afford it, you're too tight to spend it on a holiday in the Mediterranean. We're not going. So he, occasionally, though, he'd bring it up. He'd say, honey, we've got to start making plans for a holiday in the Mediterranean. And she'd say every time, now, that's cruel. Don't do that. Don't say those things you don't mean. He said one night he was sitting in the den and a telephone rang. And he answered the phone and he says, his friend named Norman. And Norman said, uh, Stuart, you've been gone a lot and, and you need to get some time off. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I want you to take a holiday to the Mediterranean, surf and sand and warm breezes, and I'm going to pay every, I'm going to pay all expenses paid. You and your wife and your kids. Now I know you won't do it unless I go along. So my wife and I are going along with you. Well, he hung up the phone. His wife said, "What was that?" He said, "We're going on a holiday to the Mediterranean." <laughs> She said, "Now, Stuart, I said, don't say those things you don't really mean." And, and she said, "I mean it." Then he said. 
Just to clinch it, I said three important words. Norman said so. (laughs) We're going on a holiday. Norman said so. Now, Norman was this rich businessman who was generous with his money. Did, Did he have the wherewithal to send them on a holiday? Let me tell you what he did. He got all of the old people in the community, older people in the community who were on assistance, got them all on an airplane and sent them on a holiday in the Mediterranean. All expenses paid. He loved to do this kind of stuff. He, he was a generous man. He had, he had the wherewithal. So when Norman said so, his wife started packing. I mean, that, that's faith. Now, here's the promise. Who said it? Does he have the wherewithal to back it up? And if he has the wherewithal, does he want to do it? Take it to the bank. He does. Now we have to be very careful. Sometimes we say God promised something and He didn't really promise. That's presumption. Well, God promised me, you know, I was going to win a lottery. That's, that's presumption. And sometimes we, we, we think if we can just rev up some faith, you know, rev up a little faith that we'll make God responsible to come through. That's irresponsibility. We have to be very careful. This, here's the test. Who said it? Does he have the wherewithal to finish the, finish the promise? Does he have the desire if he has the wherewithal? Ah, and so Abraham considered this God who was able to bring life out of death, who was able to call into existence that which had never existed. He said, take it to the bank. Take it to the bank. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, if I'd have lived in Abraham's day, it'd been so easy to believe. I mean, he spoke audibly. I mean, he did this marvelous stuff. It'd been so easy to believe. Now watch this carefully and we're out of here. What Abraham believed was God could bring life out of death. What you and I know is God has brought life out of death. We're one up on Abraham. And that's why he wrote these words, but for our sake also, to whom it will be reckoned as those who believe in Him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Now there is nothing, there is no evidence in ancient history that is more valid than the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. I'm wondering this morning if there is someone here who would like to place his faith in Jesus Christ, in the God who has power to raise the dead and to call into being that which had never existed. You know what that means? It means that God will raise you out of your dead condition, dead in trespasses and sins, and He will call into being a new species of being. That's what... 2 Corinthians 5.20 means when it talks about we are created a new species of being. He makes a new person out of us that had never been before with new thoughts and new dreams and new power and new ability and new desires. Would you like to place your faith in Him? 
Would you like to come this morning not to say, I need more faith, but I want to renew my faith in God? Would you do it? So after we've prayed, we'll invite you to come. Maybe you need to join the church. Here's the way you do it. Just come forward. Say, I want to be a member of this fellowship. And we'll describe to you there, here, and we'll talk about it, how that happens. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this wonderful illustration of faith. And I pray for a believing heart, a trusting heart, a commitment to the God who is greater than death. For I pray in Jesus, His Son, whom He has raised from the dead and declared by power to be the Son of God and for His sake. Now in a spirit of prayer, would you stand with me and our choir will begin our song of invitation. We invite you to come.